Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for our time, our day, uh, the opportunity that we have that is before us. We are very grateful that we have the privilege of opening up the Bible and studying it, and we know that that's going on throughout this building with children and teens and adults, and what a wonderful thing. We can do it freely and openly, and Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us the Bible, and we can read it and understand it. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to open up our eyes, that we might understand the, the depth and the meaning and, and the exciting things that the Bible contains. And we thank you then that the Holy Spirit not only teaches us, but confirms in us the truth and then works in us that we would live out the truth. And so, Father, our prayer today is that we would not just learn these things, but we would embrace them and practice them. We'd keep them. They'd be part of our lives. So do all those things in our life today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, passage of scripture that is pretty familiar as we continue along in the gospel project today, the, the story of uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman uh, in John chapter 4. Let me read to you where we're headed this morning. Um, you're pretty familiar with this story, but... Uh, uh, the main theme is that the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's an interesting phrase in and of itself. The Father is seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, when you worship God, you are doing exactly what it is that God wants you to do. You're worshiping. You're coming before Him and you're honoring Him and you're loving Him and you're praising Him. You are pouring out to Him. You are lifting Him up and that's exactly what God wants. The Christ connection is that Jesus told the Samaritan woman that the day was coming when worshipers would not focus on the physical location of Jerusalem or the mountain that he was, they were talking about, but worshipers would worship in that spirit and in truth. And because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're there, aren't we? Worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's not a physical place. We don't have to travel somewhere to worship, do we? We don't have to do it. You can do it at home. You can do it in your car, you can do it on a walk, you can do it at work, you can do it here, you can do it in all sorts of neat things. The thing that we want to remind people on a regular basis is the cool thing is that as you practice worshiping during the week in all of those different situations and circumstances you find yourself in, when you gather together with the body of Christ on Sunday, it's better. Then you're gathering together with other people and you think, hey, this is pretty cool. Look, I'm with other people. We're doing this now with a, a, a whole group of people. Instead of you just singing a song all by yourself and so-so, eh, you're singing it with a bunch of people. And you think, that sounds good. That's pretty cool. And that's, that's what the neat thing is of worshiping on, in a corporate way. But my corporate worship is enhanced when I'm doing it on my own, getting ready for that corporate worship. If I just depend upon the corporate worship, I think sometimes... We're missing out on what it really can be, okay? And that's kind of what we're going to study today. John chapter 4. Let's read through beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Joseph's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give, us, give me a drink. We're going to stop right there for a moment. As the Bible does many, many times, at the beginning of chapter 4 there, we understand that this is a thing that happened. They explain when this happened, what was going on with Jesus and some other folks that were, were in that area. It tells us where he was and where he left and where he went to. And then it tells us in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we know enough about this to understand that he didn't have to pass through Samaria. Okay, and you guys know that very well. Our quarterly explains it quite well, so let me just read it from their, from their words. The, the route that Jesus selected to travel from Judea to Galilee was quick but not common. It took him through Samaria, an area that most Jews would avoid. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds because their forefathers were Israelites from the northern kingdom of Israel <clears throat> who had intermarried with other Assyrian captives. As a result of their mixed bloodlines, they were despised by almost all Jews. And hopefully you understood that, that, um, that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and it's the northern kingdom went off, and they did intermarry, and they were exactly as this um, describes. They were considered half-breeds, and they were considered those that you didn't want to touch. You didn't want to associate with them in any way, shape, or form because of what they had done. They were despised. They were, they were Jews still, but they were despised because they were not fully Jews. And they allowed what went on with the Assyrians to change who they were in their practices of life. So that's the background with that. That's why they were despised so much is because of what their forefathers did a long time ago. Okay? So Jesus could have gone around like everybody else did, but he went through, the Bible says. It's very clear to say that he had to pass through Samaria. Most people would go around. He took the direct route through Samaria of going from point A to point B, and in doing that, he ended up where he was right here. Let me read something to you that I thought was really interesting um, uh, commentary. No wonder Jesus constantly got in trouble with the rule rules keepers. He believed that people were more important than rules. We do see that with Jesus a lot, don't we? He did. His ministry was about people. Jesus' behavior inflamed the hatred of the Pharisees who were known for keeping all of the rules, not only the law of God, but also the commandments of men. And that's where they really got into trouble. Additionally, when Jesus set aside social convictions for the sake of the kingdom, even his disciples were occasionally puzzled over his unconventional behavior. I thought that was a great point. That's true. We see that with his disciples all the time. We see that what Jesus does is he sets aside social convictions for the sake of the kingdom. And that's an important thing for us to understand. There, the social convictions, of, uh, if you will, of a world, the social norms of any society are just there because they're habit and tradition. That's why they're there. And the Bible goes against those things almost every single time when you start evaluating those things. Okay? The reason why we do what we do many times is because it's been done for a long time. And we need to look at those things every once in a while and say, is that something that should keep on going or does the Bible call me to something else? Is the Bible saying I should act or live or think in a different way? And many times when we stop and ask that question, the answer is yes. The Bible does call me to act and think and live in a different way. I need to not allow that social um, constraint to dictate what I need to do next. What does the Bible say? All right, so that's an important thing that we need to consider in all time. And Jesus taught us that over and over and over again. It threw his disciples off because they weren't thinking like Jesus quite yet. 
And it took a dramatic thing in the book of Acts for them to start thinking differently, right? That whole thing with Peter, and, 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 and they hauled Peter in front of him, and they said, man, you can't do that. And Peter said, let me tell you why I did do it, and let me tell you why I can do it, and let me tell you why you should do it. And they started changing their ways. Okay? Important stuff there. So anyway, our, our, this commentary goes on and says, like any culture, society dictated certain things a person should and should not do. These social convictions were informed by religious beliefs, ethnic history, community expectations, and family obligations. And anyone who ignored these unspoken rules were considered arrogant and dangerous. This was especially true in Jesus' day when a, where a person's social group defined his or her identity. Compliance was the norm. Individuality was not tolerated. So Jews were expected to behave like Jews. Men were expected to behave like men. To do otherwise was to invite judgment to your people. And Jesus seemed to break all the rules when he made the simple request of a Samaritan woman, give me some water. Okay? But he knew what he was doing, and it was a lesson that would be with us forever, and it's still there, and it's an incredibly important lesson. So what happens is, it says that he came to the city of Samaria, and he came near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Okay, so it was around noontime. And noontime, at this particular hour, was not the normal time to go get your water from the well. The normal time to go get your water from the well was earlier in the morning. The reason that she was there at this time was because that was the time when the outcasts went to get their water. Okay? She wasn't welcome there with everybody else because this woman was not living according to the norms either. And she had had some moral issues, and so she was an outcast. And in this society, that's exactly how it went on. And so when did Jesus show up? Did Jesus show up at the time when all of the other people were getting his water? Nope, he showed up at the time when those who were the outcast, those who were down and out, those who were shunned by society showed up. Now, Jesus, obviously, the gospel message is for everybody, every walk of life, every, um, you know, culture and every um, stage or, or what's the word I'm looking for, uh, inside cultures, uh, yeah. caste, thank you very much, every caste inside cultures, the gospel is for all of those things, but we, it, it does seem that God has a special heart for those that are at the bottom, doesn't it? It really does. And, uh, and here we see that, and it's a, it's, a very, it's a very cool thing that we see that Jesus is doing that at this point. All right, so let's keep reading here. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone that drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst but the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way to draw. So what we're, what we're seeing here is that he is beginning this conversation with this woman. So let's go back and notice a couple of things here that we see on a regular basis with Jesus Christ. So in verse 6 it says that Jesus 
was by the well. He was there already. Then it says in verse 7, Then it came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus immediately engaged her. And what does that teach us about God? He searches us out. That's what God does. From the very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were hiding, he went to look for them. He searches us out on a regular basis. This is what God is. God is the great lover of our souls, and God is the one that engages us. And it says here that he was there, and the woman came, and he engaged her. And immediately, and, and so we have this little insight in verse 8 saying that, oh, by the way, he was there alone because his disciples had gone um, uh, away to, some, you know, to, to, do some, to buy some food. Excuse me. Then in verse 9, the woman ignores what he says, basically, and asks an incredibly simple, straightforward question. Why are you here, and why are you talking to me? Why, what, what is going on here with you? Okay? That's the question. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? She knew who she was, and you can add in there a Samaritan woman who has been shunned by everybody else. She knew who she was. She knew the norms of the day. She knew what was happening. And here's this Jewish man who is engaging her. And she is saying, hold on, what in the world is, is happening here? Why are you doing that? This is God's gift to her. This is God's gift to us. When God comes and he, he begins to engage us and says, I want to have a relationship with you and I want to know you, this is God saying, I have something great for you. Pay attention. Okay? And that's exactly what was going on with this woman. So it's a fascinating question that she asked right away. Okay? Jesus, yes ma'am. The difference between a Samaritan and a Jew, yeah, I think that somehow it would have been dressed, it would have been a cultural difference. I think that they would have known because from that, it would have been pretty easy from culture to culture within there. The specifics I can't give you, I just think that there would have been some clear things. Yeah. Yeah, because he knew. Yeah, she knew. Yeah. And that's, I think that's it. And I, I think it's very possible. I, so I'll just leave it at that. I think that there would have been distinctions in their cultures. Okay? So anyway, so here it is. Jesus then... He doesn't really answer her question, but he says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is it says to give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What Jesus says immediately is, you know what, if you knew who I was and what this conversation was all about, you would have taken a different tactic here, in effect. Okay? I, I want you to think differently. I want you to start thinking differently. You don't know who I am yet, and if you would understand who I was, well then things would be different in your mindset. That's basically what he says in verse, in verse number 10. If you would have known, all right? And here's the interesting thing. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, sitting right in front of her was the gift of God to humanity. If you would have known the gift of God, sitting right in front of her is the one who was going to die on the cross in order to make salvation possible for humanity. If you would have known the gift of God. Sometimes the issue in life is people just don't know. They just really don't know. And that's something that we need to keep in mind as we think about evangelism and as we think about our friends and whatnot. Sometimes people just really don't know. People may know you go to church. People may know that you read your Bible. People may know that you act and think and behave and, and operate differently. But they may not know the gift of God and what it's done in your life. 
they may think that you're just a religious person. Sometimes we need to explain to people so they can know the gift of God. Okay? They just sometimes need to know. And many times they may not. So he says that, and then he says, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let's go on to verse 7. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Then where then do you get the water? And so Jesus immediately is talking about things of a spiritual nature, and the woman is still talking and thinking about things in a physical nature. Okay? And that's how our conversation is going to go here for a little while. He's talking spiritual. She's talking physical. Okay? She's here. Okay? And, and this is, th that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Unsaved people, when, when you're in darkness and when we wander away from the Lord, even as believers, what is our, what is our main issue? What is our concern? Physical. Physical. What is right in front of us? That's our concern. That, that's, that's my issue. When I wander from the Lord, that's my issue is the physical thing that is right in front of me, that thing that maybe is frustrating me, that circumstance that is overwhelming, that, that, that mat, whatever it may be. That's my, if I'm walking close with the Lord, I think spiritually about all things, and they all look differently. Okay? And that's, how, that's the difference between the natural person and the unspiritual person, and that's the difference between the person who's walking with the Lord and the person that's not walking with the Lord. So she's thinking one way, and he's thinking another way, and she says, you don't have anything to withdraw. It's an incredibly deep well. Where are you getting the living water? Okay? And then in verse 12, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And so she's going she's gonna to end this conversation here by basically saying, you know what? We revere the guy who drug this thing. This is one of the great people of all time, and he was our father, and he dug this thing, and he gave us this water. You're not greater than him, are you? And this was a Jewish way of thinking, right? They thought that we see that with the disciples. We see that um, all through the Old Testament over and over again that, that there were these people that they held up in great esteem in the Old Testament, the fathers that, that they cling to, the forefathers, and, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and David, all these guys. And that's why in the New Testament so often, you have Jesus making that declaration, and then you have in Acts, the apostles making that declaration that Jesus was greater than those guys, over and over again. He wanted to make sure, that God wanted to make sure that the Jewish people that held them in such high esteem understood that Jesus was above those guys. And they worshiped Jesus, and so it's okay for you to worship Jesus also. And that's why you read about that so often, not only from Jesus, but in the book of Acts. They wanted to make sure that that was it. They said, so this is, this is some insight into Jewish thinking here with, you know what, you can't possibly be greater than the person who gave us this well, so really what you're talking about is impossible. Verse 13, Jesus then meets her in her physical way of thinking. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. So now he makes it very clear, I'm not talking about this water. Okay? This water is not the water that will, is not that living water that he mentioned in verse 10. She repeated in verse 11. The living water is different than this water. Okay? But for a Jewish person in the desert, when you say living water, what are you thinking? A drink. Water. I need that to live, okay? That's pretty easy for us because we turn on a faucet. We go to the drinking fountain. No big deal. It's easy to get water for us, right? But these people, that well, 
that's living water. I need to go there, get some of that so that I can survive another day. Okay? So she's thinking physically, this is the living water. Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. Okay? So everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. This water, you've got to come back and get over and over and over again. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Great verse. The, the things of the world are things that you need to get over and over and over again. You'll never be satisfied. You need to get them again and again and again and again. Whether it be food or whether it be water, whether it be resources, whatever it means, you need to get them over and over and over again. But when God provides things, those spiritual things, he gives you those things that you never need to get again. And in using the, the terminology of the water, he says, the water that I give will become in him a well uh, of water springing up to eternal life. And again, think, he's talking in terms that she's going to get. If you found a spring... You found gold in that day. Okay? That was really good stuff. Because you didn't have to dig the well very deep at all, and there it was, and it was coming to you. You didn't have to go to it. Okay? And if you drink of this water that I'm talking about, this becomes in you a well of springing up to eternal life. And he finally turns the corner and says, Stop thinking physically and start thinking spiritually about what I can give you. Okay? This is what we need in life right here. And hopefully everybody in this room is, understands that, and this is where we are already. Okay? That Jesus gives the water that becomes in us a well of water springing up to eternal life. We never need to thirst again. We never need it again. I believe that there are all sorts of things in the Bible like this where Jesus is declaring it's a one-time event and it's forever. Okay? What we call eternal security. And I think that this teaches that, that idea. You drink of this water, you have that water that is bubbling up in you, and you'll never need to find it again. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sustain you through all of eternity. Okay, this is what you need. All right? So, for the woman at the well, for the Samaritan woman, for the people in this day and age, there are a couple things that Jesus talks about that, that we need to think in terms of, of those folks, all right? And we'll just, do, we'll just do two of them for right now. One is water, and one is bread, okay? You could, you could go to light if you wanted and add that one a little bit. But really, the, the water and the bread, without the water and the bread, what happened to those people? They perished. That's exactly right, they perished. Life was a, was a battle consistently to get water and bread in biblical days. You got enough water to sustain you for the day. You, by and large, got enough bread to sustain you for the day. You would start that over again. We don't think in those terms. We, I mean, we, we do not think in those terms, okay? In all honesty, if the grocery stores locked their doors this afternoon, how long could you survive in your house? Probably most of us quite a while. Maybe some not, but we have a lot of food in our houses, though. We may not like what's in the house, but we could survive on it, right? Okay? It'd be all those frozen peas we've been holding on to for months, right? That's a foreign concept to biblical way of thinking, right? And you guys understand that. So when Jesus is talking about water, he's saying, I'm providing that thing that will take care of you forever. When he talks about I'm the bread of life, he's talking about I'm, 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 that, I'm that thing that is going to sustain you forever. 
That's the significance of Jesus declaring, I'm the bread of life. They needed that every single day. Okay? And, and by the way, that's why it's so important that we understand how translation works and stuff like that. In some cultures, if, the, if they would translate that phrase, I am the bread of life, people would not understand at all what Jesus was talking about because they don't have bread. In, when the Bible was translated in Papua New Guinea, it was, I was, the, you'll know the answer to this, I was the sweet potato, sweet potato of life. That's how they had to translate it. I'm the sweet potato of life because that's what they lived on daily. Okay, in different, and in different ways, you know, you do it. So Jesus is saying, if you come to me, you have all the water you need. If you come to me, you have all the bread you need, okay? Because Jesus was about spiritual life, okay? And that's an incredibly important thing. Because here's the thing that is so important for us to think about as Christians and what Jesus was trying to help this lady understand. What, unless unique circumstances happen, what happens to all of us? We all die. We die. So he said, you need to understand that there's a given in life here. You die. Let me talk to you about that that never dies. Water that's eternal. Bread that is eternal. That's what he's doing, and that's what he did with every one of us when we got saved, right here. That's what it was. And you have that inside of you now. You don't got to go find the water anymore. You have it bubbling up inside of you to eternal life through the Holy Spirit. That's what you have. Okay? If you're dry and thirsty spiritually, it's not because God has not given you what you need. It's not because God has abandoned you or walked away. It's because you're ignoring that that he has put inside of you, that bubbling spring that is springing up to eternal life. You're not seizing the, the opportunity that is right in front of you. He's given you that to the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what we have in life. And how often do we go from place to place looking for that that refreshes us when the Holy Spirit is inside of us bubbling up? What a mistake we make, isn't it? When we're just like the Samaritan woman. Jesus is saying, let me take care of you spiritually. And we say, God, I'll get back to you in a moment. I need to do some physical stuff right now so I can get what I need. And he says, you're not going to find what you need there. Come to me. Now let's keep going. So this woman is no dummy. Well, sir, give me this water. <laughs> and yet the rest of her answer was, so I don't have to come back. <laughs> Not quite there yet, is she? Yeah, still physical. She's not quite understanding yet. She's getting there. She's smart enough to understand that if you're going to give me some sort of great water, then I want that water. But she said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way to draw. Okay? She's still not thinking quite like she should be. Well, Jesus turns the corner with her then. And Jesus begins to reveal that he knows all things, that he is the prophet who, who knows all things and is going to make this spiritual worship possible. And it begins in verse number 16. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. She said, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. OK? 
okay? And, and they would have used that word in accordance with those that understood and could perceive and knew and God had given special insight. So, what do we notice here or what don't we notice about what went on between Jesus and the woman here? What are some key things? He knows all about her, okay? There is nothing that goes on inside of you that you have done that Jesus does not know, correct? Quit hiding from God. He already knows it. She was hiding. She was. She was not coming completely clean at that point, was she? That's exactly right. Quit hiding from God. Tell God what's good. He knows anyway, okay? He knows. Quit, quit hiding from God. I think that we need to be more honest with God than we are, okay? Could, you're struggling with that thing? Just talk to God about that. I'm struggling with this thing. This is what I want, God. This is what I'm struggling Just be honest with God. Yeah, Don? Exactly right. That's the thing that we see more than anything in this passage. What we do or don't see is the condemnation. It doesn't exist. And from our conversation a couple weeks ago, why doesn't it exist? And you're all thinking, we talked about this a couple weeks ago? What? Right? But there's another reason why there was no condemnation from her. Why is it? Yeah. Right, he didn't come to condemn, absolutely came to preach. Keep going. He knew her, and he already knew, absolutely. And keep going. She knew, he knew what was going to happen, absolutely. And so run with that just a little bit. You guys haven't quite done it yet. Because when you're not saved, you don't act like you're saved. Jesus came to her with what kind of expectation? None. He knew who she was. There was no condemnation because that's the kind of life she lived because she did not know Jesus Christ as her Savior. That's exactly right. We t so do you remember that conversation we had? Or maybe my diatribe? Is that the right word? Do you guys remember that at all? Do you remember me talking? Do you remember that I teach here regular every week? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. Don't treat unsaved people like they're saved. They think, act differently. Jesus got exactly what he was expecting from her. Don't be shocked by the sins of people. Because people sin. That's exactly right. And there was no condemnation, certainly, with that, because that's what it was. Because the answer to her issues was salvation. And he was here to give it to her. That's exactly what it is, okay? And we need to make sure that we're at that point also. And then, once we're in Jesus, there's no condemnation because who deals with all my sin? Jesus. Pretty cool, isn't it? All right, Randall? There is a point, though. He did not give her a Absolutely not. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't just ignore it and walk Agreed. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. The point is we're not shocked by behavior, but what do we do when we find out people's behavior is we do what? Point them to Jesus Christ. Here's a way for the behavior to be different. Exactly right. That's the whole point, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, yes? Yep. 
I think it's kind of like the physical water. Exactly right. I need something. I agree, Keith. I think there's a lot of that. Another hand. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, she didn't know that there was some living water out there yep, to change some things. And that's, again, what people need. And, and Adeline just said the, the phrase, many times unsaved people don't know they need a Savior. They're just living their life, doing their thing. They're looking for that water that will satisfy well after well after well after well, not understanding that there's spiritual water out there. Sometimes they just don't know. Now, sometimes they know and they reject and they don't care. But sometimes they don't know. Okay? And, and we probably all can, I, can identify with that to a certain degree. I didn't know that Jesus did this. I didn't understand that. That's pretty cool. Okay? Or they think about it and it's part of their mindset and they begin to think about that there is a God who does this and this and the other thing. That's sometimes what needs to happen. You read ahead? I know. <laughs> over and over, she Yep. It's exactly right, Keith. And that's how he changes the world, isn't it? Because, and because we'll jump ahead here, who were the people going to listen to better than her? A transformed life of absolutely that's what God does. He transforms you and then he says, and now in your little world where you belong that you can identify with, go tell them all of this really cool stuff. That's exactly what he does. That's right. Let's, go, let's keep reading here. So, so she says, sir, I, I perceive you're a prophet. There's something unique about it. Let's see what Jesus says then in verse 20. Or excuse me, the Samaritan woman says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say that the people in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Okay, so, so now she says, you're a, you're a prophet, and so I have a question, and the question, in effect, is what? It's deeper than that. Who should we worship and even make it in, irrelevant for us today? What's the essence of her question? Where? Uh, not quite. How? Exactly right. What is truth? That's the essence of her question. What is truth? Is there more than one way to be saved? That's exactly what it is. Okay? When she says, listen, you say that that's the place to worship, we say this is the place to worship. If you're a prophet, you're so smart because you told me about myself. Help me out here. Which is the right way to God? In effect. Okay? And when we talk about sharing the gospel with other people, this is what it boils down to, isn't it? What's the right way to God? How many ways are there to God? What about that person? And what about this person? And what about that religion? And what about that religion? And so on and so forth. How do I get to God? Okay? Notice what Jesus says. And this is an important answer for when we talk to people. Okay? Jesus said, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming... 
and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus said, this is indeed the case right now, and you don't understand because you are not where you need to be, because salvation is from the Jews, absolute truth. He never shied away from the truth. Salvation is through the Jews, okay? And he made that very clear, but then he said, there's going to be a time when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus was saying was, it's not a religious thing. It's a lifestyle of knowing God in the way that I'm going to introduce him to you right now. And for us today, it is that the, the religious hoop jumping that people go through is not the way to God. It is having a relationship with God who can, who can save you, who paid the price for your sins. That's what it is for us today. And that's what we get to tell people. We eventually need to come to grips with the fact that you may be trying to work your way to God. You may be trying to do all of these wonderful things so you can appease God. I want to tell you what Jesus Christ did so that there is now no condemnation for you. He died on the cross for you. And there are people many times that when they hear that, a light bulb goes on because they never quite understood that he died for me he paid the full and complete total price. And you're telling me that's all I have to do to be saved is believe? You're I don't have to do all of these things? You're telling me that that's, I, I just need to do that? And they hear that sometimes and it's kind of one of those amazing things. And that's in effect what Jesus Christ is saying here. The question that she asks is the same question a lot of people ask. How many ways are there to God? We're, we're, we've been having this spiritual conversation. Okay, I want to be spiritual. Can I be spiritual in my way? And the answer from Jesus is what? Yeah, the answer is no. <laughs> you can't. The answer is you have to do it through me. That's the answer. Okay? And here's what I want to say, and I say this every now and again, but this is what we need to hear. You don't need to apologize for God. God said there's just one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. God said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. God said that Jesus was the one and the only one. God said there's only one name, and it's Jesus Christ. That's what he said. That's the truth. And that's what Jesus said. So notice what it says here. It says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so one of the things that he points out, and he says that just earlier, is the spot where you worship doesn't matter, does it? does it? And, and this, is a, this is a weird thing. I know you guys know this intellectually, but honestly, do we have to meet on Sundays in this building, in this place, in order to worship God? No, we know that intellectually. But it's true. Where can we meet? With God. Yeah, with God. We can meet anywhere, can't we? Anywhere. We can, we can meet anywhere. And it's a pretty cool thing. All right? Because we worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm real thankful that we have a nice little building to do it in. It's much nicer when the weather's no good to meet inside. It's a really cool thing, but this building is not what worship is all about, right? It's spirit and in truth. Okay? It's very nice that we have something like this. Well, let's go on. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Don't you love it how many times in the Bible that Jesus has this conversation and they, they kind of walk right into him? 
Yeah, I know. I know that. I know. I've heard about Messiah, and I know that when He comes, He'll declare all things to Him. And Jesus said, "I speak to you. I'm He. I, I'm, I'm Him. I'm the Messiah." Here it is. You want to know how to worship in, in truth? Right here is it. I am the one. Okay? We need to worship rightly. We need to make sure that we are worshiping rightly. We don't, have the, we don't have the right or the freedom to worship any old way we want. We need to worship Him rightly. And how do we learn how to worship Him rightly? Read the Word of God. That's how we learn to worship Him rightly. That's exactly right. Okay? That's what we do. You want to learn how to worship Him rightly? We read the Word of God. And those are the kinds of people that Jesus is desiring, those people that worship Him in, in, in spirit and in truth. We live in a day and age where people are all about worshiping in spirit, not so much thrilled about worshiping in truth. We get the truth from the Word of God, and we need to make sure that we do it. Our quarterly says this... Um, Right worship proceeds from right knowledge of God. Focusing on the right object is everything in worship. Ignorant worship fails to um, energize us or fails to quench our spiritual thirst. Ignorant worship is, a, is death, not life. In Jeremiah, God says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah 2.13 My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is that not a description of Christians that are not walking with God or what? We have forsaken God and we're digging our own wells that can't hold water. We're working like mad, accomplishing nothing when we walk away from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Man, our efforts, we can't get a right knowledge, nor can we worship with God properly at all. The reason why I can worship God anywhere at any time is because of what? what, what because God is what? God is in me, and God is infinite, and God is spirit. Okay? I don't need to go to a place to meet God. It's one of the great doctrines of our life is that God is infinite, and God is everywhere all at once, and I can worship Him anywhere. Okay, now, having said all of that, why is it that we shouldn't just forsake the building, forsake the meeting, and just worship God as I'm working in the garden, or as I'm walking in the mountains, or that I'm riding my bike, or that I'm laying in bed, or whatever it is that I want to do? Exactly right, because we need to worship in truth. <laughs> Who said something else? It, yeah, encouragement and accountability, because there's other things that are needed, and there's the worshiping in truth part. Okay? Don't forget that part. <laughs> it's a really good thing that we do that and that we put it all together and, and we do it. Now, let's go to the next thing. We've got to do the next thing because Keith was exactly right and in what he says um, happens next. So Jesus said, I am he. Then in verse 27, at this point the disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman and yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? You've got to like some of the insight from the Gospels every once in a while, right? They're, they're walking back, talking among themselves, amazed, but nobody was about to say to Jesus, what are you doing? 
There was a lot of whispering going on. That's exactly right. So the woman left her water pot, went to the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city, and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples said, urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So they were saying, nobody brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his, his work. And, and this is all an interesting thing right in here. But the part that's incredibly important is that, is that when the woman... When the woman met the Christ, she went back and told other people about the Christ. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen. And, and, and we, need to, we need to make sure that that's going on in our lives. That we have been saved to go and to tell other people and to represent him well. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I, I take it from the question that she said, this isn't the Christ. I take it from the question. She probably went to some of the leaders of the, of the community. Okay? That I think she went, and that's a really good insight. She was an outcast, and she said, I don't care. I need to tell them this cool thing. Exactly right. It is an example for us. That's exactly right. That's exactly what that is. And she said that. Yes, yeah, exactly. She didn't. Yeah, water, the physical water became all of a sudden insignificant, didn't it? Yep. She had spiritual life, and she was going to tell other people about spiritual life. I want you to notice also, because it's just incredibly, uh, it, it's important that we read these next couple of verses. Um, it says in verse 35, Do not say, uh, do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and reaps may rejoice together. So he says, For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. In other words, Jesus said, Look around. There's a lot of Samaritan women who need what just happened. That's what he's saying. Look around. There are people who need the Lord. And it is our responsibility to talk to them about the Lord to demonstrate the Lord and to show them Jesus Christ in, in every way we possibly can without condemning them because they're unsaved. And what they need is Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what they need. They don't need a self-help program. They need Jesus Christ. And that's our job, and that's what we need to do. Pretty interesting story, and it's kind of fascinating how it works out and, and a couple of neat things for us to think about in this particular passage that, that this, is, this, is what we, this is what we need to do. Um, and uh, Jesus is preparing people all the time, and he needs other people to go and, and to be that voice in front of them and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And you don't do it in a mean and ugly and hateful way, and even if they don't want to know about your Jesus Christ anymore, it doesn't mean you can't be friends with them still. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them. That's okay. All right. You don't, you don't hate them. You don't walk away from them. You continue to be a person in their life that maybe is pointing them to light. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a very good point. That's exactly right. Yep. And we need to be sensitive to the Lord, don't we, about what it is. Maybe he wants us to go this way or that way, and we need to be sensitive to him so that we can actually do what he wants done. That's exactly right. That's a really good point. As a believer, you've got a well springing up inside of you to eternal life. 
Pretty cool, huh? Never need to thirst again. Jesus has taken care of that for you. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And thanks for giving us eternal life, that spring that springs up and uh, fills us with eternal, eternal life through the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you that because you've changed us, you then want us to go and tell others, and you've given us the power to do that and the ability to do that. Father, may we represent you well, both in, in words and deeds. We pray in Jesus' name.